everyone welcome back to the pod and the pendulum the podcast that covers every single horror movie franchise or theme one movie in one episode at a time i'm your host mike snoonian joined once again by i guess the among us champ amongst grim magazine apparently like no i was not the champ i was just the um i don't know the game master let's mm-hmm. call it i'm gonna go with game master okay um i just had to I was the coach. I took quickly okay. coach everyone. You were the rapid. coach. Excellent. Yeah, rapid fire. Welcome back again, Lindsay Travis. How Thank are we? Thank you. I'm good. We're good? Yeah, we're just barreling through French extremity. We so. really are. I'm just going to relate a really cute story that happened to me because like this, again, this episode's going to hurt listeners. Hate to tell you, um, but there's like no happiness in this episode whatsoever. Um, so I was just having dinner and I get a call over like the Microsoft Teams app, which was, we use for the school. And it's one of the students, like the seventh grader I work with, like really cute kid. And he's like, Mr. S, you know, like I found something out. I'm like, oh my God, it's six o'clock at night. But sure, what's up, dude? Um, and he told me that he found out if you log on to Guest on the computers that you can bypass the... Um, blockages of things like youtube and he thinks some kids are doing that and i'm just like dude are you snitching and he got all like no i'm not a snitch he's like don't put a snitch jacket on me and i'm like i think you're snitching kids out right now i'm like who do you get it in he's like i'm not a snitch it was really funny there's a difference between the tattler and the informer absolutely we like actually we learned that in school yeah well we had a tattling and there's informing we had a talk about how like something like that, where it's pretty much like a victimless crime, like don't sweat it. But if you see someone like getting bullied or hurt, then, you know, that's when you come to us like, Hey, so-and-so's really bothering. So he's such a good kid. Like it really oh, cracks so me up. Cute. So, all right. So, <laughs> all right. Enough with the happy shit. Here we go. Um, anyway, this week we're continuing our exploration of French horror with another extreme entry. Uh, today, we're looking at Xavier Jen's 2007 de- debut feature, Frontiers. So, Jen's, is that by saying that right? Is it Jen's or Gens or Gans? Hmm. I actually don't know the answer to that. We're going to say Jen's, and someone in yeah. Twitter can correct. Someone can correct me if I'm wrong. That's but a, Jen's? Yeah, I don't know the answer to that. Not sure. Oh, well, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to make an assumption because nothing ever goes bad when I assume. Xavier Jen's. There we go. So, Jens uh, has had a pretty varied career. Uh, It includes working with Timothy Oliphant for his American debut, which is an adaptation of the the really popular video game Hitman. Um, Not a biopic about Brett the Hitman Hart, which is a little bit disappointing because I would love to see that. Um, He moved on to direct The Divide, which is actually a pretty excellent piece of like post-apocalyptic dramatic horror. And recently, he had an exclusive on Shudder with Cold Skin, 
which I think is kind of like merman horror, if I remember correct. Um, I don't want to go back and rewatch a divide because it's like reminded me of this game we played in grad school called like Nuclear Fallout, where you pretend you're in like a bomb shelter and everybody has like a special skill or occupation and you have to like vote people out based on that skill. I was really fun and did not get people screaming at one another in the group class. So um, it's really all right. fun. But tonight we are not here to talk about nuclear war. So what we're here to talk about is what I consider the best remake of Toby Hooper's Texas Chainsaw Massacre that I think we've ever seen. We're here to talk about what I consider the best remake of Toby Hooper's Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh, and that would be Frontiers. And to do that, we have a returning guest. She joined us for our episode on Ridley Scott's Prometheus. Welcome back to the show, writer and illustrator, whose work has recently graced the cover of the We Are Horror Zine, Daniel Ryan. Danny, how are we doing? I'm doing great. I'm here to talk about my favorite French New Extreme movie. Can't be uh, upset about that. Your favorite of them? This, I, yeah, spicy. Okay. Yeah, it's my favorite. Um, I think just because like I don't find the ending quite as nihilistic and the third act is more of like a traditional revenge survival mm-hmm. kind of story than, um, you know, something like Martyrs, which is just brutally bleak for the whole mm-hmm. last half yeah um so yeah this is this one's one that i can re-watch more often than some of its um its siblings mm-hmm. i guess interesting um what is your feel on french horror in general i love french horror um okay. i love the I, I love the french extreme in particular you know mm-hmm. i love when they just really go for it uh and then the stuff that it sort of led to, uh, like Raw, I absolutely loved that flick. Mm-hmm. So uh, French horror is good. I, I like any time they try to do something a little different and I get a different perspective. Mm-hmm. And like you said, this is, I always joke, this is French Chainsaw Massacre, but yes. it is, but it is, it, it, it does bring something new to the table. I feel like it's uh, still very European in mm-hmm. its, uh, in its interests. It is. It absolutely is. Is there, um, excuse me like how did you first kind of like stumble upon like extreme french horror like when were you first introduced to it i was really into extreme um asian horror when i was Mm -hmm. a teenager and then i discovered martyrs at my local blockbuster um when i was 17 or so they had martyrs at blockbuster the unrated cut yeah and uh i i rented it i was like wow this blew me away i've never seen Mm -hmm. anything quite like this i mean even like it's it's even past like a Mike film, you know. This was yeah. so different, and uh, and then I was like, okay, I want to find other stuff like this, and I discovered Gaspar Noé from there, and then mm-hmm. I just dug. It was Martyrs and High Tension were the first okay. two I saw, and I was like, okay, I'm I'm into this. I find it so fascinating that you found like an unrated cut of this at Blockbuster or at Martyrs at Blockbuster, just mm-hmm. knowing that that chain was like so notorious for demanding like. Even like their R-rated films, like toning them down so that they weren't quite as like repulsive to like your, you know, like if you were a family of four, like, oh, we like horror. Well, let's see what this is. And they just accidentally stumbled upon it and then were horrified. 
Yeah, this was near the end of Blockbuster. Mm -hmm. This was like in the last five years or so. And I noticed right at the end there, because actually I ended up working at the same Blockbuster, Mm -hmm. that right at the end, they were basically like, whatever the heck we can carry to get people in these stores and rent this stuff, Mm -hmm. whatever we have that Netflix doesn't, let's put it out there. And so there started becoming a ton of unrated Blockbuster exclusives and Mm -hmm. a lot of unrated stuff. And um i saw a lot of stuff that way i mean they even had a uh an r-rated cut of the pirates pornography hmm. uh so blockbuster got wild right at the end there I just didn't care anymore anything to keep the doors open yeah exactly so i gotta add as a former video store employee like what you know did you, were you kind of like randall from clerks and that you were like too school for a, too cool for school and above it or were you like taking you know, the next generation of like 17 year olds under your wing and going, oh, like you've seen all the Friday the 13th here rent, you know, like here, here's some uh, Miyake, here's some Gaspar Noe. Like, what were you like as an employee? Oh, very much the the latter. I okay. loved helping recommend things for people or helping them find what they like, even if it wasn't something that wasn't really my genre or my thing. You know, if somebody brought something up and they were like, oh, I really liked this, I could try and recommend things that were close mm-hmm. to it. Or um, I really tried to help just engage with anybody's love of movies because it was always nice to see people get excited about movies. Yeah. Absolutely. No, I, I cannot agree more. And like, what would you say would be like the most far out thing that you ever recommend to somebody that like they either came back and said, holy shit, I love this. Or they're like, uh, yeah, please never talk to me again. Like just the mark here. I recommended Requiem to a dream, Requiem for a dream to a uh, middle-aged soccer mom. Uh-huh. Because she just kept asking me like, oh, I want something that's tougher. I want this. I was, and so finally I was like, go get this movie. I got it off the shelf for her. It's like, go home, watch this. Make sure you put the kids to bed first. Um, and she came in the next day and she's like, do you have anything else like that? And I was like, really? I love you. Let's go. <laughs> she, yeah. So she was like, do you have anything else with ass to ass in it? Because that's, yeah. really, <laughs> wow, that's what I'm looking for. I love I it. I found it. I didn't think that that mom, I didn't think that story was going to go in that direction. Yeah, I didn't think that was the ending we were getting. Yeah, she loved it. Um, that's like the, the best story I have is uh, it was late at, late at night. We used to put on uh, whatever we wanted because, you know, it's like, oh, my God, it's mm. after 10 o'clock. If you're bringing your kids in here, you know, we never put on anything really bad, but we'd put on like adult swim shows or PG-13 movies that we couldn't put on during the day, that kind of mm. thing. And I had Aqua Teen Hunger Force on one time. These two little boys sat and watched Aqua Teen Hunger Force. And I was like, oh, no, because their mom came up and she's like, what are they watching? And I was like, oh, uh oh. And she's like, what is that? And I was like, I'm, I'm sorry. It's Aqua Teen Hunger Force. I'll take it off. She goes, no, 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 no. Is that here in the store? This is the first time they've shut up today. That's excellent. And I was like, um, this is her only copy. She's like, well, give it to me then. Really? I'll give you $100 for it. I was <laughs> like, all right, parents. Good. You shut them up. Here you go. Excellent. Give them the meatball and the fry man. That's really, I mean, like, I remember when, like, we had our daughter and we were like, we're never going to use the TV as a babysitter. Like, parents that do that are terrible. And sometimes you're like, you got to watch Elmo and Mr. Noodle and just, like, be quiet for a little bit, kiddo, because, like, you're a bit much. Mm-hmm. You are a bit much. So, your kids are going to be fine. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be like, well, it's coming as long from as you're a not, not a parent. <laughs> yeah, but as long as you're not sitting down in front of RoboCop like my husband's dad did, mm-hmm. I think you'll be all right. He was like six and he's like, yeah, just watch RoboCop. 
Well, yeah, but I'm when, sure he turned out okay. Yeah, he did mostly. Yeah. <laughs> when when Ada fine. when Ada was eight, like I was in grad school and I had to work like an overnight job. So like I was in the basement and I had just thrown on the thing. Like it was like a minute into it, and Ada like snuck into the basement and I'm like, "Hey, you should be in bed." And she's like, "I don't really want to go to bed yet." I'm like, "Well, I'm on the giant beanbag and this is daddy time." So if you want to watch this and you have nightmares, I'm not going to be here tonight. You have to wake up mom. And she's like, that's cool. And she thought it was like the greatest movie ever. Like she liked this movie rules. So that's awesome. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, we've watched, we've watched some weird shit. So, um, okay. And we're going to talk about some of that weird shit tonight. So (laughs) we are here to talk about frontiers. Um, which you did not show your kid, presumably. God. No, this is one. Just in yeah. case the Patreons. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This is not one. Um, and it's funny, like there are movies sometimes you have to kind of gear up to watch a little bit. And I would say like, this is one of those. We were talking about this in my other show because um, we just covered. Oh, God. I can't remember what movie we just covered last week. Let me go into my brain here. It's about schizophrenia. It's a real hair. Thank you. Okay. Okay. We talked about this in my other show uh, last week where we covered Hereditary. And like, I love that movie, but it's a really hard watch. Um, And especially as like a mental health professional, like it's a really, really hard watch. So I spent the day like watching like 90 sex comedies and like super over the top, like gory horror movies that were just for fun. And that kind of like, all right, now I can go to this dark place. And I would say frontiers goes to this dark place. So can we dive a little bit into the politics that inspired this movie? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah okay. definitely. And and I think it's funny. It was when this movie came out and I saw it and I was like, oh, this is so relevant. It's crazy. And watching mm-hmm. it in 2021, I was like, this hits even harder yeah. and mm-hmm. so different. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. It's kind of, it, it's it's a little bit scary how little things have changed. Um, So what I'm going to do here, I think is like, I will start, but if either of you just want to jump in, jump in. So it doesn't become the mic show. Cause I feel like I could easily become that. And I don't want that to happen. No worries. Sounds good. All right. So Jens has stated that the genesis of this movie were the 2002 national elections in France, Uh, the ultra right wing party there, the national front, collected about 17% of the total vote. And their candidate actually moved on from the first to the second round. And it became really scary that the fact that this like ultra right-wing Holocaust denier possibly could become like the president of France. Um, Unlike Frontiers, it wasn't enough like for the party to uh, the National Front to take control of the country. But it was like really worrisome to a lot of people that all of a sudden, one out of every six citizens were casting ballot for this very racist party. Mm -hmm. So Jen's film, it kind of reflects the anti-Muslim sentiment that was growing and spreading throughout the Western world in the wake of 9-11 and because of increased immigration throughout Western Europe at the end of the 20th century. Um, What you're seeing is like when there are these individual acts of violence and terrorism committed by Muslim populations, 
you have white nationalist anti-immigrant majority parties swiftly pointing to like the failures of inclusivity, the failures of multiculturalism as the reasons for these tragedies. And just some examples include, uh, there was the murder of a white man by a Muslim uh, that had like a dual Dutch and Moroccan citizenship in Amsterdam in 2004. In 2005, there's the London subway, the London subway bombings by a group of youths with like Britain and Jamaican descents. Uh, and really like closer to home for me in 2013, you have the Boston Marathon bombing by um, Zilker and Tamerlan Tsarnoff. Um, there's this rise in like anti-immigrant and pro-nationalism in French politics in the early, actually I'm gonna come back to that in one second. So what you see is like whenever like you have these individual acts of terrorism, it gets pointed out very quickly like, oh, it's because they're Muslim and Muslim people and Islamic people like who are by and large extremely peaceful, you know, they're painted as like radical and extreme. Whereas I think, you know, as we know here in the United States, with the rise in school shootings and mass shootings uh, and church shootings and shootings in largely black communities. That's usually like you have Dylan Roof, for example, like he's what I would describe as a domestic terrorist. And instead what you have is people that look like myself, you know, white middle-aged person or young person, um, they're painted as like, it's a mental health illness, which again, it, persons that I can tell you, I can point to a million statistics, persons that suffer from severe mental illness typically are the victims of violence, not the persons that are going out there and perpetuating violence. Exactly. Yes. Um, it's so frustrating <laughs> when people yeah. are like, oh, yeah, so it's, he's a sociopath and that makes him this or that he's there's so many armchair psychologists who have no idea what they're talking about with mental mm -hmm. health. And so there's like, right. oh, mental health is what caused it. It's like, no, there were a whole bunch of other things that led to this, mm -hmm. including like white nationalism and um, privilege and things like that. Mm -hmm. And it's so interesting when you look at the the Muslim component in this, um, the very, very early on in the film, when the two, the two leads, uh, the two lead guys mm -hmm. are eating dinner and they're like, he's pushing the pork around his plate and he's not eating it. And he's like, oh, you don't eat, you, what, you don't eat our cooking. And he's like, oh, no, I just don't like pork. And the way he says it is he's like hiding the fact that he mm -hmm. doesn't eat it for religious reasons. Right. And doesn't he say that he doesn't eat it for religious reasons? I might've had different I think he titles. says like, it's against my religion. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe and then, and that's weird. He, Cause in, he, cause on he, the one I have, it says I don't like pork. Sure. Oh, I think he, he quickly, I think it's a little bit of both. I think he quickly backtracks because I think like the hulking character is like, what are you Jewish? Um, and you could see like immediately like, ooh, like I've stepped in. It's like, no, I'm Muslim. I just, I just don't like pork. Yeah. I think the other character, I think what you see Tom do is like Tom spits it out. He like spits when it they're out, not yeah. Looking, mm -hmm. so. yeah. But yeah. But no, but you're right. Like it's very I, you know, didn't know if they had picked up on the fact that they were Muslim and deliberately cooked it. And I don't think they're cooking it in pork. I think they're cooking it in human meat. So well, yeah. But long pig. <laughs> yes. Which um, is great um mockumentary by the way if you ever get a chance to see the movie long pigs um it was like a mockumentary horror from like 2010 or something like that, that was fun. sorry yeah fun, i'll have to, I'll have to check that out well i mean and pigs are a big part of this i mean they yes, have a true. whole they have a whole pig farm um mm -hmm. so it makes sense that they would be like oh we're serving you pig mm -hmm. and um 
all of that. I mean, it's it pig and human kind of that's the whole thing. Plus, pigs will eat bones; they go through them like mm-hmm. butter. So yeah. I learned that from Snatch. The same. So that's one way to uh, <laughs> get rid of get rid of some bodies. bodies. Um, mm-hmm. That or that or feed them to the children who are clearly hungry. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. One of those there's a lot going on in options. here there's a lot a couple ways so if the wood chipper isn't around you have like you just get them eaten, some kids. So, um, just, yeah have some mutant mutant inbred kids and um they'll eat them it'll be cool people are what's for dinner um but you know what you're seeing at this time is in france in particular there's a rise of like anti-immigration policies and pro-nationalism um in the early years of the 20th century, despite the fact that like 23% of the French population consisted of immigrants by 1999. So it's a pretty high immigration policy. I'm sorry, it's a pretty high immigration population to begin with. Um, France's population was far less homogenous than most of the Western European allies were. Mm -hmm. And this influx of immigration took place largely in the 1960s and 70s. So it wasn't like it was a new issue. Like at this time, you do start to see like Great in Britain, for example, like you start to see a larger influx of um, immigrants um, in the Muslim population in the the late 90s and early 2000s. So it was relatively new for them. As a matter of fact, I'm just going to pull up like a quick quote here from the Washington Post. Um, One of the large issues that Europe was like actually dealing with the time is like, how do we help these persons settle in? Like, do we want them to assimilate with our culture or do we allow them to basically have their own kind of like little territories where they can kind of replicate their home country and their home country's culture and we leave them be? And I think in a large part, like that's what Britain did and it caused a lot of issues. So where can I find it right here? Here we go. Um, during the time of the French riots of twenty of two thousand five, um, this was a comment from uh, Trevor Phillips, who was at the time the Black Chairman of Britain's Committee for Racial Equality, uh, from the Washington Post. He warned warned recently that his country is sleepwalking towards segregation. We have allowed tolerance of diversity to harden into effective isolation of communities. He said. This year, which marked the 40th anniversary of Britain's first anti-discrimination laws, the Race Relations Act, also exposed the alienation of some second-generation Muslims after the July bombings in London's public transportation system. And just last month, while I was in England, rival gangs of Afro-Caribbean and South Asian youths clashed in a Birmingham suburb, leaving two dead. So basically, like Britain had the idea when they brought in uh, or when more immigrants said, it's like, we'll let them kind of replicate what their own country was like. We don't really need them to assimilate. And the problem with that was like, it it basically segregated these populations off from everybody else. And it caused like a lot of mistrust in immigration populations. It caused, sowed a lot of doubt and confusion as to motives. And it so you saw a rise in nationalism, which really culminated in Brexit. Um, and what you're saying is like, not like here, like we had segregation of the United States here, like basically codified and written into law. There it was done, they thought almost like an act of benevolence, but it actually made things much, much worse for everybody. Hmm. I mean, well, I certainly, could, yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say, you could you see that exists here to some in the US to some degree too. Mm-hmm. Cause like, if you look at, 
your big cities, the neighborhoods tend to be broken up by cultural ethnic groups. Mm -hmm. I mean, you t there wouldn't be a Chinatown in every big city right. if we were really about, you know, fully integrating. And I mean, part of it is wanting to hang on to culture and hang on to who you mm -hmm. are. And that gets into the identity politics of it and mm -hmm. who really just clinging to yourself and to your identity. And so it, it's kind of complicated. It kind of goes both ways. But I do feel yeah. like the government has definitely screwed the pooch uh, in pretty much every country with regards yeah. to immigration policies. Yeah, it's definitely going to be. And I know for here in particular, it's, you know, it's a challenge. Like it feels like it feels like every administration picks up that mantle um, and wants to do something with it. And every administration like drops it very quickly. Like it, unless you're the last one where it's like, America is for white people and that's it, you know, which is not the answer. Um, it feels like it's the third rail at this point. Like it's just like a very large issue that we need to kind of like, if not solve, then to make like some drastic improvements in, in, in the next well, few years. And, it, and it's so wild because in the movie, Tom says, you know, oh, um, uh, he, France is 10 years behind the USA. Here it comes. Now we have our own George Bush. Like, yeah. I remember when we all thought he was the most right-wing conservative mm -hmm. awful president in the world and um that he was going to unify the the mm -hmm. the, the racists no no yeah. we had no idea um and I think this movie is even more frightening in the era of mm -hmm. Trump because these are the very kinds of people that that you know this is going to like the, basically the whole movie is a big warning like if you let nazis exist out in the yes. woods they will find a way into the cities they will make yeah. their pervasive evil come to you yeah that's what i was gonna say when it comes to kind of um comparing it to u.s and canadian um politics or how we're really laid out the point i think it really makes is how the cities tend to be progressive as compared to, you know, you end up driving the quote racists outwards, which I don't think is necessarily true. I don't think it's like fair to say that every big city is super progressive, oh, but God, then no. there is, you know, yeah, the big protests tend to happen in city cores where people are progressive and these people kind of feel pushed out, which I mean, it would be nice if we could, anyway, whatever, there's a lot to that. But mm -hmm. I think that what this movie really does is kind of show that as soon as you breach the city, you're not in Kansas anymore, so to speak. People behave yeah. very differently. And while I can't exactly pretend that, um, you know, I live in Toronto and I can't exactly pretend that Toronto is the, you know, be all end all of all progressives. Um, obviously racism very much exists, but um, leaving Toronto to go to universities and seeing other parts of Ontario, it was a lot of culture shock for me where I was like, oh, wow, people are more racist than I knew, which obviously mm -hmm. someone who is, not white might hear that and be like oh really you didn't know no. racism exists but <laughs> I don't mean it like that but certainly there's a very big difference in the culture once you kind of oh it's huge I mean I um I spent the first half of my life in Colorado uh, just outside of Denver which is pretty progressive I grew up in the major suburb there um you know very diverse and then when I was uh, 12 years old, we moved to an itty bitty rural suburb in Georgia. And it was the same thing. It was like, oh, my God, people are so racist. And I had no yeah. idea. And and that's when I started realizing the more subtle forms of racism that I didn't realize were there because I the overt ones really opened my eyes to it. 
Mm-hmm. And it's such a bummer because there's so much good stuff out in rural America and rural Canada and rural France and rural wherever. There's wonderful people and there's wonderful culture out there. But mm-hmm. these seeds of tribalism and nationalism really can take root yeah. out there. And that's what's scary. Right. I think what we see a lot of times in like rural populations is racism on like a macro level where it's like there are large swaths of groups that are like demonized Mm -hmm. but when families or individuals know a person that belongs to that group like they take them in and are kind of like but not you do you know what i mean it's like i don't like these groups of people but you're fine like you i like you know what i mean like it's it's a weird it's a really weird mindset where you can befriend someone love someone and care for them but then like demonize their whole culture well we as humans fear what we don't understand Mm -hmm. and so when there's an individual you might be able to understand um Mm -hmm. you know if they're the only individual and you have your safety net you know you're going to be more willing Mm -hmm. to understand that single person and on your grounds Mm -hmm. that's the thing a lot of these people who are racist like that they're only willing to engage with people when they have the upper hand and they have the power yeah. And that's when they're okay. And then that's how you get like, oh, you're my token black friend, basically. Mm-hmm. No. Because you're not willing to engage with, you're not willing to ever go out of your own comfort zone to get to mm-hmm. know them. You're just going to force them into yours. Yeah. Um, by, by the way, listeners, for longtime listeners, this is where I'm going to implore you to rate and review the podcast, throw us a five-star review, because I can already smell the one or two like one-star ratings we're going to get, because like whenever we have like a political horror movie and our um, progressive side comes out, there's that one person that is like, I used to love the show when it was about horror movies, but, you know, now they're social justice warriors. One star. So, you know, if you've been a longtime listener but and been on the fence about leaving a review, now do it. Send us, like, a screen cap of the review if it's five star and kind, and, like, I will send you, like, cookies. I don't know. Like, whatever. <laughs> we'll set you. Yeah, um, and if you, if you do a one star review, just be like, oh, it was that guest. It was her. Just, no, just blame me the whole way. <laughs> No. Um, no negative reviews for our brilliant banter i think so i mean yeah this movie kind of posits the piece that you know the nazis are basically driven to the outskirts which may or may not be true i can't say that i'm an expert scholar in it but i think it's really interesting that as um i mean we see it now certainly um with you know the very obvious visible Trumpism and Proud Boys and things like that, where they're intentionally aligning themselves mm-hmm. with Nazis. It's not, you know, hyperbolic to call mm-hmm. them Nazis. They they intentionally evoke that. But it's interesting to see Nazis used as the portrait of the right wing in this movie, considering France's um, experience with Nazis. Like France was occupied yeah. by the Nazis in World War II for four years. They were yeah. French, you know, Nazi occupied France. I think. I mean, I'm sure there are a lot of um, a lot of movies that portray this, but I think the Inglorious Bastards oddly does a really good job of portraying life. I mean, I don't know, I wasn't there, but portraying <laughs> a version of France that, you know, there are people just working on their movie theaters yeah. and Nazis pop by and ask you for your information. And mm-hmm. I think that was, you know, so it's a really interesting thing right. to think that a country that had gone through that 
and struggled through that. They were invaded and occupied by Nazis. And then to have a rise in Nazism, not that much long later is obviously something that the movie was intentionally yeah. trying to evoke. Well, I mean, and too, the it's down to little bitty things like the village just outside of where the farm is, where this family lives, um, was the last stop before a Nazi camp mm-hmm. um, where they took dissidents, foreign dissidents. And so you know, the, that idea of it being right there, like literally on your door, the doorstep again, yeah. is really what they're getting at. And I think it's interesting, too, the way that, you know, that the, they go against Jewish folks and Muslim folks and queer folks and anybody who doesn't fit that Aryan, you know, the the race that they want. But even though they're like so proud in this movie they can't have kids because Mm -hmm. they've done that for too long and i think it's that in itself is kind of an interesting condemnation of isolationism and you know white nationalism and really Mm -hmm. any nationalism and power because you have to have other people come in from outside and influence and change you yeah agreed Agreed. And we're going to dive into, I think, some of the, because I think there's like some very specific like World War II and Nazi mm-hmm. imagery and power levels that are kind of drawn here. So we're going to kind of dive into that like a little bit deeper and a little bit here. Um, so specifically like the riots that kind of, or the politics that led to the riots of France in 2005. Um, by the 80s, in order to kind of reduce poverty, to reduce the educational gap and to reduce like these unemployment levels that like basically was like um, amongst the immigrant population had come in and they had kind of congregated into the suburbs. The government of France began to enact, the government of France began to enact like these affirmative action programs that prioritized education. And also there were like a lot of tax exempt policies that was meant to stimulate local economies. Like they were really targeted and really directed at these suburban populations where immigrants were um, congregating. And it was great in theory, but the reality was like these programs were always carried out really poorly. So on one hand, you have this government telling this population, like, look at all these great things you're doing for you. And this population is continuing to say, like, look how far behind we are. Like, our schools are in disrepair. Our businesses are in disrepair. Um, We're feeling continuously, like, continually marginalized and left behind. Um, And in the meantime, like, we talked about, like, overt racism, where people are pointing out saying, like, you know, here is, you know, we hate this group of people. Really, a lot of racism now, it exists in more systemic ways where it's baked right in. Um, you're seeing, or like covert ways where the African population of France were employed at far lower rates than mm-hmm. their white male counterparts were, which is something we still see here to this day uh, in the United States. Um, so you have these like tensions that are simmering and ready to boil. Um and in between, like Jen's thinking of this movie and actually shooting it, real life riots broke out in Paris 2005. And actually the first like three minutes of this movie is all footage from those riots. Like he actually took newsreel and handheld and um, like citizen shot footage from the riots and included it in the opening montage to kind of set the tone for it. Um, so this is from um, an article called Understanding the Urban Riots in France. Um, which we're going to put links to these in if you're a patron and you go to our show notes if you're at the 
think it's the Ripley level, the $10 level. Like there are links to all of these articles in the show notes there for our listeners. So, you know, pony up the big bucks, friends. Um, all right. So from the article, among various types of discrimination suffered by the young from the uh, Ben, ben Louise, which I'm totally mispronouncing, one in particular stands out, racial profiling by the police. The riot started when Ziad Bena and Buna Traore, two teenagers of Tunisian and Malayan origin at Che Swapwa, died in a power substation. And Lindsay, is my French killing you right now? Are you No, like, like I, first of all, I learned, no, don't worry. Okay. <laughs> It's almost the Canadian French is very different. Well, okay. that's not true. Anyway, no, you're okay. fine. I'm well, not they, the expert. The, they died in a power substation when they were hiding from the police. Of course, the police in these, these neighborhoods are working under arduous conditions, but its record has been far from exemplary. Racial profiling is ubiquitous, and even older inhabitants of cities complain about various affronts they suffer at the hands of the police. So that was from this article, and kind of making matters worse in 2002, the conservative government is elected and it's led by one of the uh, ministers of it, the Ministry of the Interior, uh, Nicolas Sarkozy, who would go on to be elected president in, I think, 2007. He changes the police mission from like doing from, and promoting social work, um, you know, and taking care of people to being like, we need to like violently put these people down and police them. And we're going to like work on like stopping quote unquote crime in these areas. Like you start to see uh, what we often see here. Like we saw it in 2020 where you had the depiction of like American cities as like violent and lawless and oh my God, you can't even go into them. Sarkozy was doing this back in and when he was the ministry of the interior trying to depict like these lawless um, areas. So that is kind of like the background of the politics and go into the making of frontiers um so i thought we would go from there you know into the movie itself a little bit unless anyone objects no go off so, and how the movie portrays this yes this movie i think of all the french horror movies we cover this might even be more extreme in its violence than martyrs is um martyrs tends to be like more like focused uh, and it's like laser sharp. This one is like basically like spraying violence everywhere. And it's like some ways it's easier to stomach because it's more like a traditional horror movie, just like turned like turned all the way up to 11. Um, but holy shit, it is really gory. And I think, Danny, you had made like you had said you had made a list of your favorite bits of like gristle. So yeah there's some just really brilliant gore gags in this flick um mm -hmm. and it looks like probably 90 95 percent of them are done in camera like i don't really see any cgi going on which is mm -hmm. really refreshing yeah um there is uh so tom gets his fingers shot off with a shotgun mm -hmm. it's nasty it's like a half second but it mm -hmm. is gross mm -hmm. Um, and then he gets meat hooks through his feet and they hang him from the ceiling. Mm -hmm. And there's an extended shot of uh, the other guy trying to get him down off the meat hooks. And you actually get to see a lot of ripping and tearing and it's gross. It's real gross. Yeah. Um, and then they cut, not Tom, but the uh, other fellow whose name I forgot. They cut his Achilles tendons with a pair of um, like garden shears. Like yes. they're just 
They're big it's like old, a bolt cutter, right? Yeah, like a bolt cutter. And mm-hmm. they just cut his Achilles tendons with a bolt cutter, which is that's the one that sticks in my head. I mm. have to say that is the the gore gag that is forever embedded in my brain when I think of this flick. Yeah, because they do yeah, it yeah. to both of them. It's like, dude, if you do one, he's not getting away. Um, it's like, oh, God, it is. Um, I think it's a relic. Well, I don't know. Fact about me, uh, House of Wax, the, the Achilles tenon scene in the remake really mm-hmm. like fucked me up. And to this day, I have this like weird thing that when I'm like freaked out during a scary movie, I tend to grab the back of my ankles as if I'm like protecting them from someone cutting. Yeah, it's like a weird nervous habit that came out of that movie. I won't see movies, not that like I think shoes are going to protect me, but I won't see scary movies with like sandals on. Like I feel like I need to wear like covered shoes. And when I'm nervous, I'll grab the backs of my ankles. I like, it's some weird house of wax (laughs) reaction. So I bet this was bad. So when I saw it, I was like, no, not again. Harris Hilton messed you up. Messed me right up. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. There's, so, there's yes. some nasty ones. I've I agree. Never that seen, is a gag that got me. I've never seen the 2005 House of Wax. <gasps> Worth it. Worth like, it. Really think, good. Yeah. I think I wrote it off back in the day and everyone now says how it's kind of like like a underseen gem like a little bit of a classic so really it might be a good patreon episode i was just gonna say do you smell a patron episode i think i do because i yeah i'm into it i really love house of wax and uh yeah i think people wrote it off because it was like oh paris hilton in a scary movie and so they assumed it was like a dumb scary movie like scary movie relic thing um but it's not it's really fun and mm-hmm. achilles tendons let me tell you yeah. so that gag in this movie absolutely got me yeah, it's, it's gross. Taking a quick look here. How up 13? I'm trying to see, like, as we're talking here, um, is there, like, a special edition Blu-ray of it? I don't know. Of I, Frontiers? No, of House oh, of Wax. Oh, House I am of the Wax, worst maybe. at knowing that. I have that no idea. not something I have okay. my finger to the pulse of at all. No. Well, come on, Lindsay. It's the worst. What, what are we doing? We know that's here? the thing I'm the worst about. What do we do? Having your finger to the pulse? No, of like special DVD blue release. The only one I've like ever cared about in my life is Southland Tales. I like don't care about special Same. I was I was <laughs> like, oh my god, Southland Tales can't. I was like, yeah, I'm buying it right away. The can cuts on there. The can but cuts on there. I need everything it. else. I'm like, I'll buy your old um, you. four by three aspect ratio DVD. When like cri- blue when, comes out. When Criterion has the flash sale like they are right now, like do you mute? the criterion and twitter you're like i don't need this i'm just like i'm glad everyone's excited about it mm-hmm. and good for them but it's just yeah. i'm not Suckers. getting in the online queue fuckers but I you're welcome that, like, until everyone. until criterion puts out like a special edition blue or 4k of uhf i think criterion is for suckers that's fair there's some things that there's like i had to get like portrait of a lady on fire i was like i really want mm-hmm that and you know for a little tiny bit more than the regular dvd the blue the criterion's already out so screw mm-hmm. it i'll get that mm. um but yeah i'm, I'm kind of picky about what i'll get special editions of it's got to really have you know some special bonus features yeah. or really be an upgrade in quality um mm-hmm. for me to right. like the the crimson peak arrow release i was like yeah i want that i want to see mm-hmm. the crispest most beautiful version of this flick mm-hmm. so yeah oh it's like no disrespect to people that do love it because i'm like yes i love that you love it i love that i love that it's a whole thing good for everyone essays we love them Mm -hmm. arrow releases and indies shout factory scream whatever Mm -hmm. have a blast and then when you're done give all of your old ones to the used dvd shop so i can buy Mm -hmm. them for a few bucks exactly that's where i get yep (laughs) 
This is where I will remind our patrons that yeah. part of what your patronage go to is <laughs> so we can buy the best possible quality discs yes. so that we can do our research. We can get commentaries and so on. Actually, yeah. well, I'll save it. So thanks. Um, you maybe know. I won't. There so is a special just... feature coming for a movie that I love that I'm actually pretty excited about. What movie? Promising Young Woman has a um, hair and makeup special bonus that all I'm about the eyebrows about. i yeah I always hope. about the eyebrows until the boys does an eyebrows special <laughs> feature oh, for oh. so back to the gore <laughs> yes back to the gore um the a dude is steamed to death and it is yes. a very it's very reminiscent of um you know the ovens the holocaust mm-hmm. ovens uh but a dude is steamed well not all the way to death it doesn't quite kill him so they have to shoot him which is mm-hmm extra gruesome um my favorite my favorite gore gag in terms of just like sheer fun is our heroine uh throws the biggest gnarliest dude who looks like if henry rollins and tom tolls combined Mm -hmm. and were french Mm, that's apt yeah yeah and she throws him on a table saw and it is just it's great it's a really fun cathartic gross like you have put me through all of this i have literally swum through pig shit now i am going to push you onto this saw Mm -hmm. yeah and that is like a because before that like she gets the shit kicked out of her like Mm -hmm. it's not um you know it's like a triumphant moment in part because like he delivers her the kind of beating that would kill most people like yeah. it's like and it just like it's what makes it all the more horrific is just how like he really languishes in it like he's he's getting off on like how much violence he's inflicting on her like it's terrifying yeah and then and- like batter i think even she gets like some of the gristle in like her lips like it's really disgusting oh it's really gross and then she's completely covered head to toe in blood the rest mm-hmm. of the movie yeah. like she yeah. she looks like uh she looks like the end of the evil dead remake. Like just, I am covered from in head to toe blood. Um, Doesn't matter what happens to me. Now I got my war paint on. We're good. Let's go. Do you Um, think anyone has ever like done like Yasmin cosplay or like a Yasmin Halloween costume? Like, you know how people go with like ghost face, you know, like Like that blood spreader bride look she's got going on. Mm -hmm. Like that'd be really easy to do go to goodwill buy you a white dress like a white frock dress mm-hmm. cover yourself in blood and if you have short hair you're good and if you have long hair just tell yes. people you're carrie i was gonna say it'd be really hard to convince people that you're not carrie right or you know corn syrup not real blood like don't cover yourself in <laughs> yeah. well yeah that's not, a bad you know please yeah. you know, let's not commit ritual murder to yeah blood. yeah no definitely fake blood because the yes. real the real kind well and the real kind would turn brown and then you wouldn't look screen accurate look anyway nearly as cool at that point um what else are we missing i feel like there's other stuff in this that we got there's a I good wonder... shotgun blast yep go ahead no finish your thought Let's i was gonna say going. there's there's a good shotgun blast um the the one woman gets a uh, really nasty shrapnel through her face yes um and then uh, Yasmin bites the same woman, Gil, he, she, or a different one. She bites Gil's throat out. She just yes. rips her throat out with her teeth. Mm-hmm. That's, that's sort of the last really gross, gory moment in the movie is just her like, I have no weapons. I have my teeth. You're mm-hmm. going. And uh, the woman, she rips her throat out. She has a big Nazi tattoo across her back, a big mm-hmm. blood eagle. So I was kind of extra excited to see her. Yes. I was just like, bye. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What are you saying, Lindsay? I was going to say something about the Nazi doctor, and I was curious your 
opinions on um, if it was used well as a trope. And I, when I say trope, I trope tends to have like a negative connotation. I don't think that it mm -hmm. is. I kind of think of more, it's more like Plato's forms. It's just like, mm -hmm. is what it is. Mm -hmm. um, but the Nazi doctor, the air doctor trope is like really prevalent in scary movies mm -hmm. and in everything. Um, and I, when I was watching this, I truly didn't know, like I had a few moments where I was like, I don't know if there's a point to the fact that this guy happens to be a retired Nazi doctor or if they just were like right-wing extremists. And I didn't really know how I felt about it. And I'm curious your takes on that. Okay. Yeah. Let's, you know what, let's do that. Let's dive in there. Cause I think that kind of ties into um, the world war II like imagery mm -hmm. and illusions yeah, kind of overall. So for me, it, I guess it did work. What do you think? Like, what was it about it that maybe like didn't sit well for you? It wasn't so much that it didn't sit well per se. I was trying to like, I mean, I'm, um, I don't want to say into World War II, mm -hmm. but I'm definitely, uh, I know, I like World War II history. I don't really yeah. know. There's always a weird way of being like, I'm so into Nazi history because right. obviously that's not the case. Um, and it's something that I think is- Are you an apt pupil of it? I'm, I'm an apt <laughs> pupil. So I find that- um, I really like how it's used in, in horror movies. And I think there's a big spread between it being used for political messaging and then also just like cartoony, like, and the zombies are Nazis for like no reason. And you're mm -hmm. like, okay, um, that's fun too. And I sometimes find when things land in the middle, I, I like it the least because I'm yeah. like, you're not really saying anything and you made this person a Nazi for no reason mm -hmm. to just be jarring and scary. And that is worse for me than when it's like super cartoony. Um, you know what I mean by that? I don't know. I get what you're saying. So, yeah. There so, is like, there is something a bit cartoonish about that performance. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. it's, so, it's like Dietrich Laser in um, The Human Centipede. Like, yeah. this is a dude that was made to play like a mad doctor. Like, you get the point that you don't even think he's acting. It's so like on the nose when it comes to being like a mad yeah. doctor. And there's something like to that. German yeah. accent and that whole mm -hmm. thing. So when it falls in the middle, it's always when I tend to like it the least. And I couldn't really tell because that's kind of why I ended up diving into the hole about like, okay, yeah, it is evoking the Holocaust. It is evoking World War II. This is France that we're talking about. And, you know, they were occupied for a long time by the Nazis. So obviously it was reconciling that mm -hmm. history. But I still kind of was like, no, this is just a Nazi doctor hurting people, but it's trying mm -hmm. to be deep. And I didn't really know where I landed on it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not I'm not entirely sure where I land either. It's somewhere in the middle because I think a lot of the imagery is really good. I think that's kind of where it shines the strongest is in the really small moments, the little images, the little sort of throwbacks, if you know what you're looking for. Mm -hmm. um, there's a part where they they get the items off of their new victims and they go and put them in these cigar boxes and this, these boxes have like watch one has watches and one has cell phones and one has glasses and seeing that I immediately thought of the holocaust and those boxes mm. of people's belongings and how they were sorted and I think there's a lot of interesting small things like that but like you said the performance is so arch and just oh. over the top and ridiculous that it loses that nuance and it becomes just another you know mad nazi doctor right i think i get the feeling when i watch this movie is like the performers took the character cues from like the Sawyer family in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm -hmm. And we're going to talk, I'm going to leave that to the side for right now. Cause I'm going to, we're going to talk a little bit about 
how many ways this movie like parallels and really like lifts from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I think in a really good way, personally, like I love what this movie does with it. Um, but I think to your point, Danny, and you had mentioned like the, the location, I think the Val Deweese, um was the home of like two German camps during the um, German occupation of France. There was Aincourt, right. which was the first internment camp of the Northern zone. And that's where members of the French Communist Party were in prison. And then uh, Linus, uh, Linus Montrelet, which again, mispronouncing, was the second. And it was basically used to imprison like the Romani people. So you're immediately like evoking, but just by setting it there, you're kind of evoking like thoughts of that. And this would have still been, I think maybe on the mind, I think you had talked earlier about um, the French resistance, Lindsay, and how person, you know, how that's often portrayed in the media. And I think like, that's something that like France has like struggled with like their own, whenever the occupation is portrayed in media, it's portrayed in such a way that like, the heroic French person that like quietly or overtly like stood up against the presence of the Nazis. But the reality was like, there was a large part of that population that either did nothing or even maybe quietly supported the Nazis in their cause. And when you see media portrayals of the occupation, it's often that like heroic side because they kind of want to bury the past a little bit um and danny Shoshana you is a hero so oh Shoshana <laughs> is absolutely yeah. a hero yes but she fled to yeah but anyway mm -hmm. yes um but danny you had mentioned like the um steam room scene where you have like that character i think i'm trying to think if it's david it's not tom it's not tom because tom's way dead by that tom point is way yeah tom is dead by that point uh farid i think is who it is mm -hmm. he is um like gassed basically i mean like you just no way you can wa watch that scene and not think of like the gas chambers like it's really horrific um the character you're mentioning von geisler the patriarch like he actually makes a direct reference to auschwitz in the movie with he uses the phrase arbeit macht frei which work will make you work makes you free which is a slogan that was basically like hung above the entrance of auschwitz and many other uh, uh, many other camps. So it's in that whole area, I think like the barbed wire imagery in the open fields, like it really, it yeah. gives you in the, like that barn just sitting there, it gives you that real camp feel to it. So that huge cross, there's a giant yeah. cross and they show it mm -hmm. in silhouette, like twice at the very beginning and at the very end, mm -hmm. um, there's just this giant cross. And I think that's especially interesting given that um, in this instance, that it's specifically, you know, that mm -hmm. they're Muslim and, um, or that they're Jewish or it's, it's again, it's that Christian mm -hmm. sort of, it's like the crusades. It's the same yeah. sort of thing. It's that we are the pure ones. Everyone else is lesser, um, mm -hmm. kind of mentality. And I think that's probably why they went, I mean, other than the fact that, you know, they were in France, you know, the French were occupied by the Nazis. There was a rise in extremism tied to Nazis. Mm -hmm. I think it just was easier to make him an overt Nazi to just be like, let's go, you know, full no. Nazi with it. Um, but it, it could have been slightly more nuanced there. I'll definitely right. give you that. But I think it's um, sometimes nuance gets lost just because mm -hmm. they're trying to get the message across. And in this yeah. instance, I'm like, hey, they got the message across. So at least right. there's that. And I know that I had this elsewhere in my notes, like with Jen's being, Jen's being like inspired by uh, the rise in like right wing 
uh, political power in France, like the leader of the National Front, like Jean-Marie Le Pen, he had a huge following in rural France. Like that's where he basically built his following and he was a Holocaust denier. Mm -hmm. So I think like having like this really like in your face imagery, including like, yeah, cartoonish, because like that dinner scene in particular, like I got to be honest, I have no idea what the aims of this. Can someone explain to me like, what is the end goal of what this family actually wants? I don't know. I actually found that difficult to decipher. <laughs> I, I think that it's it's that whole pure race. Like, I think that they just, I think they're kind of like the Harga. They just want to stay out in isolation and live mm -hmm. their lives and live it according to their um, specific sort of structures. Mm -hmm. uh, speaking of racist communities, woo. Uh, <laughs> but... It, it that's what I sort of got and that's like because when he says you know oh she's not pure but you need a wife and right. I saw that it was sort of they're trying to create a commune out there and then they can establish once that's established then they can grow mm -hmm. is sort of the idea that I got yeah yeah it seemed it seemed very um I mean in a weird way it really reminded me of the wrong turn franchise mm. but you basically have a family out nowhere that is kidnapping people to impregnate them and force them to have kids for their pure bloodline um and that's kind of what i gathered from it and i kind of assumed what it was all about mm -hmm. I mean, they do and they also cannibalize people in wrong turn yes they mm -hmm. do that and that's what it's, it's always hard to figure out like all right we want to increase our bloodline but we all like how do they decipher like who's for eating and who's for fucking i mean like that's yeah. really you know, that's the, I guess, like the everlasting question we all face, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I got confused and forgive me. Um, so, I mean, I guess, I don't know. I, another thing that I couldn't, um, um, oh, sorry, the other thing that I couldn't really decipher. So the film obviously is um, the main characters are Muslim mm -hmm. and they're kind of attacked by the Nazis. And I feel like you know, that was a, a way of kind of mashing new racism with the old. Um, mm -hmm. Not that anti-Muslim racism is new. I was being glib. Um, but <laughs> uh, the characters in the bloodline they bring, I assumed, I thought that, that that she was also Muslim and I didn't really know. She is. And I she think is. She, she, I didn't know that until kind of like doing some reading about the film because she definitely, mm -hmm. she can definitely pass as white. And I think there's, might be something to say about like passing privilege what it is i think i'm not smart enough to comment on in a really intelligent way right um, i took it as like and i think they even make a comment like about her dark hair and mm -hmm. her teeth but i think they're i think at that point like von geisler is like look at this point like the way our family is going almost like any port in a storm like we're gonna have to take what we is given to us at this point um mm -hmm. And we well, just and don't have any other options. Exactly. And like, I know he gestures at the pregnant, the pregnant woman and he's like, you know, oh, that's going to be another freak, basically. Yeah. Like, we know that right. that's, it's hers and Hans's and, you know, their siblings. And so it's going to mm -hmm. be another inbred, one of the children. Yeah. Um, And so, yeah, he, he does say he's like, she's not pure. She's not perfect, but we'll take what we got, basically. Right, 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 right. Yeah. And then what was, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's gross. It's not and then, great. And then what? That's it. I okay. was just thinking of the uh, the young girl 
and that whole bit. Mm-hmm. Um, her character I found weird because I was like, how old is she supposed to be? Is she supposed to be stunted or supposed to be 13? And I couldn't really read much, but I had a lot of fun and fun, whatever, we're horror fans. I had a lot of fun with the scene where she shaves the woman's mm-hmm. head mm-hmm. or cuts her hair off. Um, first of all- Back-to-back movies, it's a motif now. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like that scene a lot because- First of all, it was clearly, I mean, it was evoking lots of imagery when it comes to removing hair, but obviously mm-hmm. it was something that happened um, when people were brought into concentration camps. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it was evoking that, but it also was very like House of a Thousand Corpses, Psycho mm-hmm. with pigtails, Kanya mm-hmm. while having a good time. Right. Um, and I also really love, everyone who knows, I love hair and makeup transformation scenes. And mm-hmm. I definitely consider scenes like this part of that the character Mm -hmm. is going through a transformation kind of against her will she's looking into a mirror while someone is styling her um and she transforms when she loses her hair she certainly goes from the like oh shit to the i need to like that's Mm -hmm. when she starts to get covered in blood and murder people i just think that's like a really dope scene that was my favorite part it's like a reverse samson where she actually like gets Mm. her strength from you know losing her hair as opposed to having it cut Exactly. Yeah. I yeah. thought that was unlike the scene in Martyrs, though. Like Martyrs, it's so impersonal, mm-hmm. um, and it's really like a dehumanizing scene. Totally. Um, and you know, I had originally like when I was like doing my notes, I'm like the dehumanization, the dehumanization of like having Yasmin's haircut. But then when you watch that scene, like that woman who cuts it is actually really sweet to her, and it's really sad, and she, like sees her as like basically a new sister and is like mm-hmm. trying to and is trying to help her it's so dark. Yeah. it's really dark <laughs> it's yeah so dark. and yeah like cutting like, hair is dehumanizing and that's why they did it mm-hmm. right i mean you could probably that's... dig and find things about why they do it in the military and mm-hmm. there's a reason why they do it in jails and there's a reason why they did it in concentration camps mm-hmm. and it was dehumanizing with intention yeah. and it's just an interesting layer to add something like a horary character of like the psycho little girl and then add the fact that it's kind of a sad, tragic story for this little girl. I just think there's yeah. a lot to it. And yeah. all in front I, of a mirror. Like, I always thought you... that she was... No, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, you go, Danny. You go. I, was... I always thought that she was stunted. I always thought that she was in like her... Probably her 30s. Um, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah, I thought Because yeah. I think she and Hans are... I actually thought maybe like she and Hans were twins or something. Like mm-hmm. he was the big one and she was the little one. Like that sort mm-hmm. of speaks to horror tropes. Um. And she's just, so, so distraught when Hans dies as well. I just got the image of like twins too with Arnold and Danny DeVito. And it's like <laughs> they could be the... Twins too. Be... The French connection. Um, but and, but I, she's the mother of all the children. And so, yes. you know, that's sort of what I thought was that. Because the other two women, um, the... What's her name? Um, well, the blonde, the one that has mm-hmm. the tattoo. And then the other one that's real quiet both of them go out and sleep with different men and things like mm-hmm. that so they don't really seem to have like a mate within the thing but all the inbred children i think are coming from hans and no. the young I mean, pregnant ones. It's, uh gill and claudia i think and mm-hmm. is the idea i think that they're barren like that's why like they're not able to have children so they get to be more you know they get to like be more sexual and they're not married off like they're not married to anyone in this movie is how i took it like they're mm-hmm kind of like if not equal to the men in this movie um that they're not their stations not that far below them 
because Gil is yeah. kind of having a grand old time. Like Gil is just yeah, Gil's having right. Gil's having a blast, and then no. and then she's not. Yes, and then she's blasted. So exactly, you know. she's not. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's the dynamic of that family is something that like I cannot quite wrap. And this happens to me a lot. Like when I watch horror movies with like really weird, inbred, fucked up families that seem to have a plan, but maybe it doesn't really under close scrutiny, it doesn't really hold up. And that's where you're like, there's probably some schizophrenia going on there so like you know these we're not really meant to kind of follow along with what they're doing like crazy doesn't always have a plan so a wrong turn yes, yes. <laughs> the hills have eyes Woo. Wow. yes i mean texas chainsaw i mean i guess we but you know yeah but this is make the argument yeah. this is the but, french chainsaw massacre yeah, in yeah. Every way, the, shape and form uh, the, the, yeah. Par- the paris texas chainsaw paris. massacre <laughs> Uh, um, oh, well they do like the sawyer family there. does have a plan like they just want to win chili kick off cook-offs you know right like, uh, yeah they're a little thing. more yeah yeah they're like yeah, they're, they're grounded you know yeah, their whole thing is like we got to bring back that like first place trophy for chili so which is mm-hmm, mm-hmm. fantastic so speaking let's let's dive into this because i had made a note here about the way this movie samples if we're being kind or like basically holds at gunpoint and steals from if we're not like how it (laughs) really lifts from the texas chainsaw massacre so to me like just the setup of the story is like directly riffs on it like you have these youths that are leaving the city in tcm it's like the kids are leaving i think austin here the um, muslim youth are fleeing paris um during the riots after they've like committed a robbery because and they're fleeing because like the city is no longer safe for them to be there so they need to leave um but they're leaving the city and they basically like go out into the countryside and they run afoul of cannibal maniacs on the absolute like edge of society um you have in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you have the grandfather who is played for like this really grotesqueness. Like you don't think he's alive until he starts kind of kicking around a little bit. You're like, That's oh, yes, mm-hmm. fucked up and weird. In mm-hmm. this one, you have like the grandmother who he has that like trachea tube and it's so squicky when they like force feed her and all of a sudden like the liquid comes like just oozing out through it you're like that's a, that's yeah. a big nope like that is a big big nope that was um, a huge note for me that was like an i've seen enough of this yeah i'm gonna pause <laughs> this for a little bit so yeah that was a hard note for me yeah um what is the grossest thing you guys no we don't have to do that sorry <laughs> what is the... wait irl or in a movie yeah exactly yeah, sure in a, in a in real life <laughs> no i don't want to i don't know i don't want to think about it i don't want to go to there i don't want to yeah i don't I, want to dig into my mind palace like, when my yeah. daughter was three and had like explosive diarrhea and i couldn't get her in the tub fast enough and i'm like someone help me so <laughs> my <laughs> my worst one that's short and funny is when i was a dog groomer a dog mm-hmm. took a poop and my um thing my my smock had huge pockets mm-hmm. and it pooped into my pocket and i didn't know it because it was while i was carrying it back to the kettles and i reached into my pocket to grab my keys and I stuck my hands right in the poop, and the dog had worms. Oh, no. You know what? You just reminded me of the grossest thing I've ever seen. There you go. It was when my dog had worms. It, it's and, so gross. Um. Oh, oh my God. That is it the was, best story I've ever heard on this podcast. Yeah, you're, that's <laughs> such a great story that, like, sounds fake. Like, it's so right? gross that it sounds made up. 
yeah no i i stuck my hand in my pocket and i was just like Ugh. oh my god what is and then i was like oh it's poop what did a dog and then i pulled my hand mm-hmm. out and i just screamed no and my coworkers are like are you okay did you get bit are you okay and i was like no it's worse than that oh my god that's a horror show that Being is a dog groomer thing. is a horror show yeah that sounds like a nightmare um yeah. my dog i yeah oh god we oh have- my god that is such a disgusting story i'm sorry that's amazing thank you for sharing because that is out of control yeah you're, you're um, welcome <laughs> Yeah. Oh my God. My dog had worms is the worst thing I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I remember <laughs> I won't share the details because they're too gross to, for me to even say, but when I went to the vet, um, the vet was like very like chill, calm. I see worms all the time. I'm a vet, you know? And then, uh, he got freaked out and started Googling it. And I was like, <laughs> if you're freaked out, I'm freaked out. <laughs> oh, so he had really bad worms. Yeah. He oh. was like, that's gross. I need to look that up. And I was like, cool. I feel better. Um, it was hell. I hated it. <laughs> Something you'd never want to hear when they have to like, let me, my wife <laughs> yeah. is getting, um, she's getting surgery on her wrist tomorrow. Oh, like she had luck. a real, yeah, she had a really yeah. bad break like 10 years ago and she just like oh. put off. So she went in to have it looked at last week. She's like, oh, they'll probably schedule me for surgery over the summer. And like the um, doctor was like, do you mind if I bring in our students? And she's like, sure. And like her wrist, like when you look at her hand and you guys can't see this at home listening or wherever you are listening, but like on (laughs) camera, like her wrist is permanently at like a like 45 degree angle. Um, And the doctor was like, this is why we do what we do. Hopefully we can fix this. Like hopefully. So yeah. Yeah. that's never like you never want to hear like do you mind if i bring in the students like that's no. never you got to get a load of this <laughs> yeah you got to see yeah. the freak over here so yeah um, oh yeah okay um speaking of freaks there's hans who i think is like very much like he's like this giant mute um he's very much like your leather face in this situation to the point like even his introduction like you have like um Tom, who was like kind of crawling through that long tunnel. And when he gets to the end of it, like he's completely, which I don't know how a guy that big surprises somebody. Um, mm-hmm. Like he must be like hat like reflexes, but like that, like quick burst where he's like smashed over the head and then yanked out. Like that is completely lifted from like the intro, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre and like Leatherface's introduction. So um you have like obviously this really chaotic and disorienting and violent dinner scene. I mean, doesn't I'm like, Jesus, it doesn't get any more on the nose. Um, and then like little things like Yasmin escapes. She thinks that she's like found someone that can bring her to safety. And then like it, she's immediately turned around and like brought back to the house, like just like Sally when she meets um not the hitchhiker. Why can't I think of like you know, like basically like the let head brother in Texas Chainsaw. Like he, she thinks she's out, but she's not. Like there is so much in this movie that like it does its own thing. But my God, like it owes a great deal of debt to Toby Hooper. Well, it's so funny as you're saying this, like things that it that happen in other movies are popping into my head. And I just mm-hmm. realized you could watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre, House of a Thousand Corpses and Frontiers. And mm-hmm. all three are technically the same freaking movie. Yeah. They're just doing something different in each one. Mm-hmm. But like each of them has all of those tropes, like bam, bam, bam. Yeah. Um, you know, to down to the escape, down to the dinner scene, down mm-hmm. to the hulking mute. You've got Tiny in House of a Thousand. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think it's just interesting seeing these different takes on an old story 
and whether it's like wholesale ripoff or whether it's paying homage is mm. kind of neither here nor there it just depends on did you get something different out of it yeah. than watching texas chainsaw then it was mm. worthwhile um and for me yeah i definitely get something different out of it because i feel like the texas chainsaw massacre doesn't really have as much of a like overtly political no. agenda it's not as um steeped in both like you know discuss this is clearly has something on its mind whereas texas chainsaw i feel like is more of just trying to scare the shit out of you yeah there are definitely like it's i I would say texas chainsaw like is a very political movie in that Mm -hmm. it like explores the way that like mass industrialization is kind of like destroying destroying rural communities but it's it's not nearly as overt like you're 100 percent right like this is like this is like, hey, look at what causes this kind of violence. Like to the point where like, we're going to actually put it in our movie. Like we're going to start the movie. Like it's basically like your, your abstract is like that first three minutes of the movie. So. Right. Yeah. This I mean, is just more yeah. over the head with it. Whereas oh, Texas, yeah. Chainsaw, Texas Chainsaw is political. It's just not beating yeah. you over the head mm-hmm. with it. Like, hey, let's talk about race. Uh, yeah, absolutely. No, you're spot on. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know that I agree with that. I don't think it's about race per se, but it's certainly a political movie. It's like yeah. Hoover was like pretty vocal that it was about mm-hmm. consumerism and Nixon era. Mm-hmm. I guess it's smarter, I guess <laughs> yeah. is what I'm saying. Like Texas Chainsaw is doing it a little bit more. Texas Chainsaw, the the politics of it are sort of things that you think about afterwards. Mm-hmm. Whereas in this flick, yeah. It's something that is always on your mind, sometimes to the film's detriment, sometimes to the point that you're thinking, oh, why is he a Nazi instead of being mm-hmm. afraid? Or you're thinking, oh, this is invoking this instead yeah. of being afraid. Um, and I think that Hooper's is just it's more subtle. It's a little bit mm-hmm. better thought out, maybe. Um, and so this just feels more overtly mm-hmm. political because it's just mm-hmm. so much more on the surface. And it's it's just a lot more blunt. You know, yeah. this is a hammer to the face. Yeah. So I think you could watch Hooper's movie. I remember, I think the first time I saw it, like was like right after I graduated high school and like, you could watch that movie and not make any, I could watch that movie at 18 and like not make any political connections to it. Just be like, holy shit, there's a giant fucking dude hitting people in the head with hammers and he's wearing another dude's face on his face. Like that's fucked up. Um, and not and then go back later on and then be like oh here's what they're saying where this is like literally like in your face like here is the politics like what where you can't avoid it right even if you don't know what they you know like how you feel about them like they're just it's right there like romero is the same way i feel like romero and hooper are very similar in the way that Mm -hmm. they put their politics in their films and that they make things that they make stories that are allegory and they make stories that are about much more than they are, but they do it in mm-hmm. a way that maybe the types of people who are going to get upset and leave one star reviews because you talked about politics yeah. aren't going to go see it. And so theirs are a little bit sneakier. Mm-hmm. Like I know tons of people I've met people who are like, wait, Dawn of the Dead's about capitalism. What? And I'm like, yeah. And Night mm-hmm. of the Living Dead's about segregation. What? Then they just don't know. It's like, sometimes you have to sort of, think about like what the non-film nerds might get Mm -hmm. from something and that's when you kind of start seeing the stuff that's really overt that's really in your face Mm -hmm. i don't know i still kind of don't think i agree because i'm trying to think about like okay if i saw this movie and didn't know that it was political and if i watched this i mean 
how many, like I just talked about the Nazi doctor trope and how many mm-hmm. Nazi doctor movies would people not, ne- or video games would people not necessarily mm-hmm. engage with the politics of it when mm-hmm. like, obviously if you have someone wearing a swastika, you're, it's a political party, quote unquote, mm-hmm. icon. And I could see people still not engaging with that. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think it's really different. I mean, sure, we've got the riots at the beginning of this movie and they're talking about the fact that, it, you know, there was just an election that they're fleeing from, but I don't know. I'm trying to like put myself, you know, if it was 10 years ago, the first time I saw this movie or 15 and I was less politically conscious, what would I gain from it? I don't know that I can say that it's that. I don't know. Even if like, like, let's say 15 years ago, like that'll be what, like 2006 at this point. Mm -hmm. I think like, even if like I'm not engaged with it politically back then, that I would still be like, oh, like there's a point to the idea. There's a there's a reason why that like, these characters are Muslim. Like at the right. very least, I would make some sort of connection to like 9-11. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, right. like obviously, but that might be the extent to which like I would engage with it. Maybe mm-hmm. I, I get what you're saying where you're like, you can you can sit back and like watch this and be like, fuck yeah. Like, you know, dude gets his tendons cut off and another person is like, steamed to death in a really gnarly fucking crazy way um Mm -hmm. so i get what you're saying there too but i think like i don't know like i think there it's like more it's like punching you in the face with it in a way that i'm not sure that texas chainsaw does um even though i think it's a really um and maybe it was just because like when i and and again it might be an age thing for me because like in 1993 at 18 Mm -hmm. i never would have thought of like oh yes, you know, like this is obviously about like a soldier coming home from Vietnam and that's why he has all this like PTSD and he's, you know, like cutting his hand at that point. Like I get that. So yeah, I think we all approach politics like different. It's it's interesting, like what like tickles us. Mm -hmm. For sure. Absolutely. Um, I think, I guess one thing with Frontiers that I think is different that I really did appreciate is that the heroes or the the protagonists, you know, especially Yasmin, that we're following people that are marginalized yeah. and like some of them like doubly, triply so, mm-hmm. um, you know. And so I think that's really interesting because we're, I'm so used to the sort of the fodder in these movies, the survivors being just a whole bunch of white kids and like mm-hmm. maybe one person of color. So that's another refreshing take because I feel like there's some interesting it's just a different lens to view it through. And it's kind of interesting to be able to put yourself in the shoes of somebody who you are completely not able to, you know, understand otherwise. Um, And I mean, I saw this when it came out back in 2007, I think it is. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, in, in Bush era in the middle of all this. And I remember thinking like, I'm so glad that this movie, like I'm mad that this Muslim woman, survives and wins like Mm -hmm. that's fucking awesome it's so nice to see Mm -hmm. and i think too like with these characters like marginalized but also portrayed as almost villainous at times um at least at the start of the movie like oh the guys especially oh yeah like you have goats who i did not realize like he was in brotherhood of the wolf which is another movie i fucking love um but like goats like punches a cop out and like points a gun at his face to start. And then he's like awful to Yasmin. Like he's like, um, I don't even want to say borderline. Like he's emotionally abusive to her. Oh, well, they're awful to Yasmin. Right. I mean, and this movie has some, some sort of feminist mm-hmm. things that it's trying to say. And I don't mm-hmm. think it entirely knows what it's saying too, mm-hmm. because 
um, women are controlled on both sides. Like mm-hmm. you definitely have Yasmin being controlled by her brother and, um, you know, th- her boyfriend and the other men in her life. Mm-hmm. And then you have the the woman, young woman, um, the young mm-hmm. pregnant woman in the family who is very much being controlled yeah. by men. And there's the other woman who's real quiet. That's not nearly as um, intense as Gills. And she's mm-hmm. real quiet. And she sort of seems like a little abused, too. And I think there's definitely a lot about power dynamics that this yeah. movie's trying to get into. And it just it's kind of mixed messaging still, right. unfortunately. You know, I think the thing with Claudia, I think that woman in the middle, like she can't give birth. So she doesn't have, you know, doesn't have really a use for the family in that way. And she's not like Gil, like Gil, who's like so much more overtly sexual. Um, she's kind of in the middle and doesn't really have like a space to exist. And you can see it like she, she's like, gets, has this like searing hatred and animosity mm-hmm. towards her sister um because she feels like she's talked to like a child so i think that's a good um a good segue to talk maybe about some of like the personal politics of this movie before we kind of wrap things up here because i you know had made a note about like yasmin's pregnancy um and i'm kind of like going back and forth a little bit like the movie opens with a quote my name is yasmin i'm three months pregnant one day someone said men are born with equal rights the world I, I, the world in which I live is the opposite. Who would want to be born to grow up in the chaos and the hate? I decided to spare him the worst. So there's a bunch there. Like number one, I think it's telling. Like it's not that people are born with equal rights. It's very much like men are singled out as being the ones that like they have the power, the control, and they're equal. But even then, like that doesn't prove true in society. But also like Yasmin's reason for not wanting to carry the baby to term is kind of like a noble one it's like look how terrible this world is right now like my house is on fire the police are hunting me down like there's riding in the streets like and she has the foresight like look where we are in 2021 like it's not going to get better from here this is just the start of it like what she's doing is almost can be seen as a mercy for her child yeah, I would definitely agree that that's sort of the the take um, that she's she's trying to do what's right for her kid. She loves it so much that she doesn't want to bring it into mm-hmm. this world, yeah. which is which is honestly sort of like pre-suicide almost like it's sort of like she wouldn't live here either if she had the mm-hmm. choice. I mean, it's sort of like I get the it, it's I don't know. It's tricky because I'm not a mother and I've never mm-hmm. been pregnant, so I can't speak to how any of that feels. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do feel like it's a little defeatist on her end. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Defeatist in what way? In that she doesn't like, I sort of feel like she would bring the baby into the world if she felt like she could, like if it was a safe, happy place. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it feels sort of defeatist, you know, like, oh, things are bad. I can't bring a baby into the world. Well, things have always been bad and things will always be bad. Like mm-hmm. that's kind of the takeaway from this flick is like, look, the Nazis were here 40 years ago and the Nazis are going to be here 40 years from now. We're going to have to keep fighting them no matter what. And the only Mm -hmm. way to keep fighting them is by teaching one another and by growing and things like that. So it feels a little defeatist for her to just be like, no, I don't want a baby. I'm shutting down. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I can completely empathize. A large part of the reason I do not want children is because I look outside and I'm like, no, I'm good. I don't want to bring anybody into this. So I get Mm -hmm. it. Um, it's just something that always, that within the context of the movie feels a little defeatist because 
at the end after she survives and she decides to keep the baby and I didn't think of that as like oh she's lost her autonomy or whatever it's more that she's realized like oh I can do this like I can Mm -hmm. protect this baby because I can protect myself and I can Mm -hmm. move forward and so it's her choosing to fight back in a different way interesting yeah like it kind of reminds me of the there's a I know this is like edgelord supreme but the Chuck Palahniuk book um, Haunted Mm-hmm. There's a short story where everybody in it finds out that um, heaven is on Venus and that if you commit suicide, you can go there. And so, but the thing is, is that people are reincarnated. So the only way to get everybody there is if everybody on earth dies. And so, cause that way nobody can reincarnate. And so the way of rebelling becomes that people are getting pregnant and having babies. And so that kind of was an interesting thing. That's always made me thinking, it's made me think about birth as a form of rebellion and mm-hmm. sort of procreation as a form of rebellion mm-hmm. um, is something that's always stuck in my mind because of that. And so that's what this felt like to me at the end was sort of like, you know what? You don't think I should exist. Well, screw you. There's going to be more of me. Mm-hmm. That's a, yeah, that's a out there take. I will say that like show, you, like, <laughs> you know, like she he didn't want to keep the baby and then they want her to keep the baby. And then she decides she's going to keep the baby to like spite that family that likes to show that like it didn't defeat her in the end mm-hmm. what yeah. are your thoughts Lindsay? i see you nodding your head there i don't know i'm, th- I'm like chewing i don't know mm-hmm. um i definitely saw a few reads of the ending i didn't really know what to make of it um i did kind of like have that like okay she's all about bodily autonomy it's a movie about mm-hmm. bodily autonomy it's a character who's talked about not having equal rights as a woman, mm-hmm. um, which I think in this case, she's talking about, you know, um, uh, bodily autonomy and, and health care with respect, you mm-hmm. know, she's, she's associating in that moment, um, womanhood with um, having a uterus, let's say. Um, sure. And that's, I, yeah, I'm just trying to, I don't know, just cherry picking language here, but, um, you know, she comes at it from that lens and it's kind of thinly evoking abortion rights in that way and kind of the autonomy and freedom of the person in that way Mm -hmm. um, being less afforded to her. And then in the end, she ends up being like, I've learned so much that I'm going to not, um, that I'm going to not terminate my pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of people had a visceral reaction to that as if it was kind of going back on itself. I don't really know what to make of that. I didn't really have that visceral, like Mm -hmm. it flips the script reaction to it. I kind of was like, Oh, okay. Kind of like, annoying that like that's the thing she gets out of it um i'm like all right sure but yeah so i'm i'm still just kind of chewing on uh danny's take of it because i don't really know what i make of that i'm like oh interesting yeah i mean Mm -hmm. and and i think one thing i found really refreshing about this is like so many of these movies um you know the the final girl is rescued at some point by a man Mm -hmm. um, and in this it is by another abused woman because yeah. when she's about to die in the elevator, the pregnant woman blows the guy's head off with a shotgun. Yes. And you look up and you see her there and it's like, oh, and she's like, no, we're friends now. The one that did her cut mm-hmm. her hair, you know? Mm-hmm. And I thought that was kind of interesting that, you know, in this moment of weakness, instead of yet another man coming in and this being part of his story, at least at least it was, you know, another person with a, you know, another woman, another femme, another person who has been marginalized in the same way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was kind of an interesting difference from what I'm used to seeing. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think, I think a lot of it is just really muddy. 
it's just it's very muddy um kind of mixed and it's the kind of thing where i could probably watch this movie five times and then get a really good concrete answer for mm-hmm. you but why would i do that to myself <laughs> yeah i think yeah. too like Lindsay, you had pointed out an article that like we'd put in our notes here on like the and it's on again for our patrons like you can um you know if you are at the try that again Again, for our patrons who are at the Ripley level, like we get the show notes and we have links to the articles in here. Um, for you freeloaders, you can use Google. Uh, anyway, so it was like, I know that was kind of mean. That was harsh. We love all of our listeners. Um, talking about like the like social political part or uh, social political commentary in this movie about how someone is always pulling somebody else's strings that like at the end of the day, like there's someone saying like, this is what like marginalized people are able and not able to do that. It's usually somebody else making decisions for them and steering them like in very direct ways. Like I think one of the big things about this group of youth and Yasmin in particular is they feel like they don't have any control over what they can do and like they have to flee what had been like the relative safety of the city just because it's no longer safe for them to be there because like there are all these like, changes coming in at the hands of the police that are trying to kind of inflict like more control over them. Yes. Yes. All right. <laughs> I'm like, uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, I read after this, I, I knew, um, I knew that it had a lot to say. So I spent some time after watching mm-hmm. it, kind of researching it and thinking about it. And mm-hmm. yeah, I think one of the things I found really interesting is I didn't really know what conclusion I drew. And I think very much like, I'm like, ha, huh, interesting take is a very genuine reaction. Cause mm-hmm. I was very much like, oh, I don't know what this was telling me mm-hmm. um, or, you know, what to make of that finale. I think the finale does kind of gank it to be really honest. I, I was like, oh, okay. She's just driving away. And mm-hmm. Um, I didn't love, you know, the whole like clutching her stomach thing. I was kind of mm-hmm. like, oh, okay. Um, but, you know, the whole woman driving away covered in blood, again, it's something evocative of um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre and a lot of these other movies. We talked about it with, um, shoot, what movie? We talked about the kind of tragic final girl. Maybe it was just- It was Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Because it's it's basically Sally gets away in the back of the truck, but does Sally yeah, really yeah, get yeah. away? Sally doesn't really get away. Like yeah, Sally, I feel like, I can't remember. Yeah, I feel like we talked about it in context, but maybe we were also just talking about Texas Chainsaw Massacre no. in a different context. So basically, yeah, like she gets away, but like at what cost and and right. what you know? Oh, it's exactly. Final Destination, it, Final Destination Three. Yeah, that's okay. what it was because she doesn't really get away. She's, no, she's on like, that train. I made it. Yeah, so. Um, yeah, same kind of thing. You know, she's driving away covered in blood. Well, and it's even like the exact same um, shot as I spit on your grave. Like it's mm, the, it's true. framed exactly like I spit mm-hmm. on your grave. I felt this movie's ending was actually more nihilistic than Martyrs. Um, number one, like watching Yasmin through the last like 30 minutes of this movie, like her body is on autopilot. It's almost like there's no thought going through it. Like she's having like the tremors throughout. And that I think what disturbs me more than anything else in this movie is like basically like watching Yasmin stumble from scene to scene and like almost having no control over her bodily functions. Like she's completely on autopilot. 
But then when she gets away, she's immediately confronted. Now the police show up and it's, you almost forget that like, she was like a wanted person um, and this group was wanted. So she's gone from this one horror to like, the police aren't there to save her. The police are there to arrest her. And like what Mm -hmm. really drew me in to thinking about this, like when I was rewatching this movie, when her and her brother go to the hospital and the nurse is like, well, just wait here. I'll be right back. The nurse doesn't come back with a doctor. The nurse comes back with a policeman. Mm-hmm. And the and there's no sense of urgency when they're moving towards them. It's like the nurse, is, her first instinct isn't to help this person. Their first instinct is to make sure that this person is like apprehended and punished. And yeah. You never know, like if she had like done, if she had followed the hypocrite, well, I guess maybe Francis would have the hypocritic oath, but if she had done her duty and gotten a doctor, maybe her brother is saved and he's not going to be able to go anywhere. Like if you have to apprehend, apprehend him later, like save him first. Mm-hmm. So that was the take I took, like in some ways, like at the end of Martyrs, at least Anna, like she gets her victory over Mademoiselle at the end. Like it's even though it's like a bleak victory, it's still a victory. This to me just felt like she goes through all of this and then it's like, here are the police to bring her into custody. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um go ahead. Sorry. Go, go. Okay. I was gonna say, I was gonna say it's it's sort of like the um the original ending for get out. He originally intended mm-hmm. Chris to escape the house, run out and get shot by police. Yeah. Um, and it's that same sort of idea that the people who are supposed to be helping you, the people that are supposed to protect you, won't because of who you are and your identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's really really scary and yeah it is a very very bleak ending um but i do i do honestly like you said you know oh i hate watching her go from thing to thing i enjoy sort of the the nazi massacre that happens Mm -hmm. at her hands it's a little cathartic to see her Mm -hmm. sort of take those dudes out like once she goes down that elevator i'm like all right yeah it's nazi killing time (laughs) that part i enjoy that part i enjoy it's like the head bobble and yeah um you can tell she's in shock Yes, like exactly. Like she's just like doesn't like her body is like on on, on fight mode and she just can't switch it off. Yeah, I don't know. Um, like, it hurts to watch it. It really does. Yeah, I, I would say Martyrs gets to me more just because of the torture, like the yeah. prolonged torture. Um, mm-hmm. Because I know that that is going on for months and months and months. Whereas yes. this, I'm like, this is one really really shitty day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I would say I agree. I think this movie is more like rewatchable than Martyrs is. Like I would, I'd be much more likely to throw this on for like a quote unquote fun rewatch than I would be um, Martyrs, which I would watch Martyrs if I want to feel really terrible about myself and kind of hate, hate the world for a little, that would be hard to do. Like if I did like a Martyrs and Hereditary, like back to back, I could then just like, you know, yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a day. I love Martyrs and, um, you know, I've written about Martyrs and, mm-hmm. and I, I love that flick. But yeah, it's one that even I'm like, no, you know, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. good. I can go without watching that again because no. um, yep. I can watch like the first half. And then and then yeah. when we get to the, the second half, I'm just like, no, I'm good. I'm out. Yeah. OK. Is there anything that we're missing here? Is there anything that we wanted to bring up that I may have like forgotten about? Um, I just, my only thing is, uh, Yasmin, Karina Testa, her performance is excellent. She, um, you know, it really requires a lot of her. And I would say she really gives it her all with ever, 
like sort of um some some women when they do horror they just like they just scream and cry and scream and cry and they're just like mm-hmm. snotty messes and i'm like that that's great but it doesn't really work for this flick and um mm-hmm. i like her badassery yeah i agree okay um before we wrap up i have like two comments like we asked for like comments we got a couple of them over in the old twitter about this movie um so let's go we have from at finn horror um who is the kind of moderator of the psychoanalysis podcast group really good dude and he's going to be on with us soon on psychoanalysis talking about uh one cut of the dead uh anyway much more fun much more fun movie there are far less you know far less you know cannibalism going on in that movie so okay (laughs) so his comment was this is one of those that gets forgotten and sure, it may be a tier below the famous one like Inside and Martyrs, but still worth a watch, I think. Also, wasn't this part of the Eight Films to Die For series? It was and it wasn't. It technically, like if you get the DVD, it's on, it's like displayed as like part of the trailers for like uh, mm-hmm. the Eight Films to Die For, which were like these movies they would get released every year. For like a couple of weeks in theaters um it got an nc-17 rating in the united states which is basically like the kiss of death um and at that point um it came out in like eight theaters for two days and then was released like directly to dvd the week after that so um from lovely linda at pure seepikin what the heck i cannot pronounce that at pure seepikin thank you first peekin all right, let's do that again. <laughs> All right, from lovely Linda at Purse Pekin. Uh, I saw this at the Circle Cinema in Brookline, RIP. I wish Shout Factory or someone would release this on Blu-ray in the US. I've still got the DVD with the eight films to die for logo on it. Same here. And Lindsay, you mm-hmm. don't want this released as a special edition. You're like- Well, I mean, I don't care if they release a special edition. I'm just not going to buy it. Okay, fair enough. No one's, <laughs> no one's going to make but- it. Power I would like to a, them. I would like a Blu-ray of it though, because this DVD is rough. It, yeah. it, it looks like it's handicam. It's not great. Yeah, it doesn't look. I and I watched it again. Uh, I ripped the DVD to a NAS drive so I could stream it throughout the house. So I'm like Ooh. even a cut below that. So um, and yes, R.I.P. The Circle Cinema in Boston. Uh, it was really gross and disgusting and had like really terrible floors. And I think Purse Pekin said, like, yep, she remembers, like, seeing rats run through the theater there. So not good. Okay. So there we go. So, Danny, if our listeners want to hear more of your takes, what are you up to and where can they find you? Um, to hear more of my out-of-this-world takes, uh, go to Twitter. I'm on Twitter at mm-hmm. Danny Rat, D-A-N-I-R-A-T. Um, other than that, I'm just kind of floating around the internet, mm-hmm. writing here, drawing there. Mm-hmm. Um, you can catch me if you check out the Genre Vision podcast. Um, mm-hmm. That's G-E-N-R-E-V-I-S-I-O-N. Um, I am on their Patreon once a month doing Currently mm-hmm. Consuming, and I hop on there for guest episodes uh, occasionally. Excellent. So definitely uh, check that out. I'm still trying to get them to do Mind Hunters. So. Mm-hmm. Oh, it is always a pleasure having you on. So please Thank come you. back, all right? Always, um, anytime. And Lindsay, I believe, like, as we're recording this, like, your quote-unquote patron episode of um, 
King's cast is now free to the people, right? It is a surprise. Um, earlier, oh my gosh, what is time? About a month ago, let's mm-hmm. say, <laughs> um, I did a Patreon episode of the King cast, um, but they recently dropped it for this month. So yep. it is now available for everyone on the main feed. Mm-hmm. Um, I build a case to defend Andy Dufresne in court. Um, and it's really fun. I had a lot of fun doing it. So you can check that out. Uh, They're on the Fangoria podcast network. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. That's, those are my big things. There you go. And by the time this is out, um, you can also hear Lindsay on the psychoanalysis podcast as she and Jen basically dominate and talk about (laughs) their favorite movie of all time, Terminator 2 Judgment Day. And I get to basically take the night off. It's fucking fantastic. So, <laughs> yeah, we had so much fun. So much fun. So Talking much about fun. our collective favorite movie. Love it. Um, Love it. Yeah, so that was really fun too. So lots of my voice this month. This, yeah. this so yeah, so, have fun with that. Hope so you like lis- it. So listeners, before we go, okay. Let's try this. This is this is gonna be a mouthful. Okay. Okay, listeners, before we sign off tonight, I want to take two minutes and talk about the Patreon page. And here's the deal. I'm going to assume that if you're like either a new listener or you've been with us for a while and you've made it like this far into the show, you like what we do. I mean, like not many people are lining up to like, go like, I got to hear what, you know, these three folks have to say on like frontiers, man. Like the people have to know, oh, your dog is always welcome in the show. Bark away. Um He's such a good boy. Oh, oh, he wants to be him. I want to pet that dog. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm gonna assume Sorry. you know, if you're a new listener and you made it this far into the show, you like what we do. And as much as we love doing this show, it is a lot of work. So aside from the obvious, which is like sitting down to watch the movie and then recording on it, there's a lot that goes on top of every episode to make it happen. So we put a lot of time in research. Uh, ahead of the show like we dig up articles we dig up books like um, just to make sure that when we talk about it like we're kind of like trying to cover as many angles as we can Uh, there's coordinating with all our guests making sure schedules work lining people up that we think would be a good fit Um, when available like we dig into the bonus features and the commentaries of the movies we watch so that we can have like as much perspective as like what goes into bringing the movie to life as possible and then there's like all the reading and the research. And then I'll be honest, like once you record, like editing takes up a huge chunk of time because I suck at it. Um, so on top of that, the deal right now is like the podcast space is like basically bombarded with massive shows that have way more resources than we could ever dream of. Like it seems like all of a sudden celebrities have learned like, hey, I can make a buck. Like if I do a show, I already have a huge following and I can do this for my pajamas. I'm doing a podcast. So these like bigger shows like threaten to crowd out like smaller independent shows like ours. I'm not, we're not going to have the marketing team, the resources, the outreach, these platforms have. And like, that's not a complaint. It's not belly aching. It's a fact. So when you become a patron of the show, you help us keep it going. I cannot tell you, I well, I can tell you that it makes a huge difference, like whether or not like we rent a movie for streaming for three bucks or if we're going to splurge for that special edition on Screen Factory. 
It allows us to upgrade our recording equipment. It allows us to purchase the books and other materials. And I'm going to be honest, like every now and then it just keeps me motivated to do this. Like, I'm like, all right, it's nice to see, you know, like a few bucks go into the till. And really it's only a couple bucks. Like our levels start at $2 a month and that gets you a full bonus that bonus episode every month for like these one-off movies you won't cover. Like I know there are some like really good shows that like $2 is like the tip jar and we'll say thank you. And it's like, eh, really we think that if you're going to support us financially, we owe it to you to bring you something. Um, and then we have like higher levels from there where you get a bit more, which we're actually going to record on in a minute. So if you can, please consider heading to patreon.com slash pod in the pendulum and become a supporter of us today. We just put up our show on Valentine. We did Batman 89 last month. And like, I got to tell you, man, that Valentine episode, like listening back to it when editing, it's fucking wild, man. Oh, those episodes are bangers. And I know that's like maybe easy for me to say, but those are two of my favorite episodes we've recorded. Yeah, Absolutely. (laughs) Which is not a sales pitch. I'm just saying they were really fun. I'm just fun. saying, like, if you, you need saying. more of us, you need more of us. Two bucks gets you more Lindsay and Mike in your life. Like, <laughs> I'm a shill for myself, potentially, but I do think that, those are two of our best episodes. That is a deal. Like, you cannot even buy a carton of orange juice, which Lindsay just says that people don't buy anymore. <laughs> on the ah, episode. A joke you would get if you had you a patron. access to the Valentine <laughs> episode. So please, other than that, please rate review and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts we have two more french movies to give you we have raw coming up and then we have it looks like it's going to be inside um which yeah have you ever seen inside Lindsay? no it is it is wild it freaked me out so much that when i lived in the third floor of a building i locked every possible entrance to get in yes um and I think it was the night my daughter was conceived too. So that's oh, that Lord. story. Well, <laughs> there you um, go. I just that keep reminding myself what we're doing next. And that's what's getting you, me through. <laughs> you get, I can, I'm like, this is not your thing. Um, like, you can do this, Lindsay. You get two more movies. We're the next one's easier. We were going to originally do five. I think we're going to do four French movies so that we don't lose you. Um, <laughs> but basically. No, like, that sounds like I'm a hater. It's not that. It's not. But no, we like, it's like, I'll be really honest. Like we, we covered, like when we did like Poltergeist, like I don't really love the Poltergeist movies, mm. you know? So that was one of those ones where I'm like, I guess we have to do them. You know, like I had to do, I had to do Creep Show 3, man. I would rather like push my grandmother down the stairs than ever Why, watch Creep Show 3. I yeah, well, they're well, both they're both dead. So let like, that they be. Feel let it that be point. a. <laughs> oh god. Let that be a teaser for what's coming next. Yeah. That is something what, I am incredibly hyped can about. Can we announce it? Why don't you announce it? What are we doing after? We're doing a big one next. What are we doing? We're doing one of my favorite franchises, period of all time. So I'm pretty excited about it. Oh, this is like I feel I feel like I have to stall because it feels like, like such on, a like big thing to do. Oh, yeah, I need a drum roll. Next coming up. For you French Extreme fans, we are going to be doing The Evil Dead. Yes! How do you, how do you say The Evil Dead in French? No. <laughs> Le Mort Evil. Yeah, there you something go. about... Excellent. Yeah. I do not know the answer to that, but I will find out before we Excellent. record on The Evil Dead, which I uh, am... Best franchise. I'm hyped too. I'm just hyped oh. to listen to it. So before, <laughs> that, before that, folks, we'll be back with Rock. All right. Have a great one. <laughs>